We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Shaping up to be one of the most expensive races of its kind ever. Except for the people who make or run political ads, can this be good for anybody? Uh, this weekend, we sit down with an expert on campaigns and money. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Sarah Bruni. She's the executive director of the Illinois Campaign for Political Reform. It's a watchdog group formed in 1997 by the late Senator Paul Simon, a Democrat, and the then Lieutenant Governor Bob Custer, a Republican. The nonpartisan group is dedicated to campaign finance reform, which has support and resistance from both sides of the aisle. Ms. Bruni has been with ICPR for two years. Before that, she was associate director of the Uptown Chamber of Commerce. During her time with the Illinois campaign, she helped win passage of legislation that increased campaign finance disclosures in the state. It was a good win, but there's still a ways to go. Sarah Bruni, welcome. Thank you. Um, Well, let's start with the landscape. Uh, In 2018, we've got a race for governor coming, among other offices. Incumbent Republican Bruce Rauner has already sunk $50 million into his own campaign. Billionaire businessman and Democrat J.B. Pritzker recently put $7 million of his money into his campaign fund. Just how expensive could this race turn out to be? Well, I get that question a lot, and I uh, can't possibly speculate. I think it'll be <laughs> more expensive than than probably our our wildest dreams or perhaps nightmare. Um, certainly, you know, we expect over a hundred million. We've already seen about sixty one million dollars raised by all of the candidates in the race. Mm. Um, even accounting for inflation. It seems as if every election season breaks records set by the previous election season. And it, it's really, it's not just the race for governor, is it? That's correct. Last year in 2016, many state legislative races were very expensive. There were seven races over $4 million and a few over $5 million. That's compared to maybe one race, maybe two over $4 million in 2014. So you see a lot of these local office is becoming more and more expensive to run for. I think that it is really frustrating for voters to see and they want to understand how they can get involved and make a difference in this issue. Yeah, I I know, uh, as you might expect, the U.S. Senate race between uh, Senator Mark Kirk and then Congresswoman Tammy Duckworth was really expensive. Um, but even a state Supreme, I remember a couple of cycles ago, a state Supreme Court race uh, went over the million dollar mark. Uh, that these, it's what politics is turning into, isn't it? Yeah, you know that Supreme Court race ended up being over two million, and that was um, so much money at the time. And now that seems like nothing, unfortunately. When you see just a race for state representative costing five million dollars, um, these are the types of elected offices that. We hope that any type of candidate, a grassroots candidate, could really run for and feel like they're making a difference in their community. And that seems to be less and less accessible the more expensive they become. Yeah, and we want to talk about that. Um, is what is driving the price up 
for these races a matter of national groups getting involved, uh, whether it's political parties or political action committees? I think that's part of it. Um, Certainly in Illinois, part of the increase in spending has been due to Governor Rauner's um, money that he's given to the Republican uh, establishment in Illinois. And that's not to say that the Democrats haven't been spending money for years and years. A lot of Republicans would just say now they're matching that spending. Um, Whatever the case may be, there is increased spending on both sides of the aisle. Both party leaders see this as their main opportunity to compete. They see money as very important, and they're both willing to do whatever it takes to raise the money they need. Um, We have been talking about the level of spending in Illinois, at least for the governor's race, being unprecedented. Um, This is not the only state that is uh, electing a governor. Uh, uh, Your campaign, uh, or the I should say, make it sound like there's you're running a campaign. But the campaign for political reform uh, has actually looked at other races around the country. Uh, is Illinois still in a class by itself? Well, we looked at gubernatorial races in the most populated states. Um, in many states, candidates haven't even declared. It's something that is just merely a whisper of conversation in those states. So um, in New York and Texas, for example, um, the incumbents have 20 and 30 million dollars in the bank, but there's not any real, um, you know, challengers declared at this point. Even in states like Florida, where there are multiple challengers declared, you're seeing three, four, five million dollars total. Nothing near the 61 million dollar mark, which Illinois is at right now. Um in states where there are open seats, a lot of a number of those are because of term limits. Um, does that raise the price of a race? Well, we've looked at term limits and competitiveness. I think you know the results in that regard are mixed. But in the states that have multiple candidates, first of all, none of them have as many candidates declared this early on as Illinois. Um, but also, those candidates are only you know, raising one or two million dollars each at this point. None of them are raising seven million dollars or 50 million dollars. So that's really what's driving up the price of our campaigns. Hmm. Um, But uh, now in Texas, and you mentioned a couple of the states where people don't have opponents yet, Mm -hmm. but are still raising a lot. Uh, Texas is shaping up to be a little like uh, Illinois, at least in terms of uh, how much money they're starting with on the table. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott, the Republican, has incumbent Republican, has no announced opponents and has $34 million in the bank. Um, and the same for New York Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo, who has $24 million. Um, why do candidates who don't have opponents raise so much and put up so much right at the beginning? Well, you know, part of being an elected official is having an effective fundraising apparatus. And that's part of the issue with money in politics is, you know, many elected officials have to fundraise from the day they announce their candidacy all the way up until the next election starts. They may win an election and think, oh, great. You know, I don't have to make these calls anymore. I don't have to do fancy dinners. It's not the case. They keep fundraising because that apparatus is constantly churning, constantly trying to build up the amount of money that maybe will um, discourage others from running against them. If you see someone with $30 million or $20 million, 
um, and you're maybe a grassroots candidate, it's hard to imagine how you could mount a successful campaign against that person. And that brings us to the next issue we want to talk about, and that what does this kind of spending do to political races at any level? And I mean, there's so many things we can talk about. Let's pick pick one to start. Is is it that you scare off regular people from being candidates? Well, I think that's part of it. Um, we saw some mayoral elections in municipalities around Illinois that were costing three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand dollars. Um, just to become mayor of of a city with maybe 50,000 people. Um, and I think that is really intimidating to people who maybe want to get involved in just their city council to start, uh, which is a great place to really make policy that affects your neighbor's daily life and your daily life. But if you know running for city council or running for mayor costs many thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's really a deterrent for people. So I think not only does it kind of build up this wall where you say, oh, my governor has $30 million or $50 million. There's no way I can mount a campaign for governor. It trickles all the way down to these local, hyper-local races where people aren't getting involved in politics from the very start. So there's no bench of candidates to rise up to statewide positions because people can't even run for mayor in their town. Do non-millionaires realistically have a chance in elections like this? Uh, it, when we are starting to get up into the stratosphere, uh, what does it take for someone who doesn't have uh, friends with millions or you know a facility for raising money through social media? And I guess there are some people who can do that. But if you don't have that, should you just give up right at the beginning? Or is there any evidence that people can break through? Well, I do think this gubernatorial election will be an interesting case study in that, you know, if you talk to the candidates in this election who don't have millions of dollars, I'm sure they would tell you they feel that they can win or else they wouldn't be uh, putting themselves through this. Um, but no matter what, money is always the main topic of the day is what I've been seeing. The candidates with money, they're talking about money. The candidates without money, they're talking about money. Um, and it doesn't help that Illinois has this budget impasse that continues. Um, but, you know, we are big advocates of some policies and reforms that could help people without millions of dollars run for office. There's one that's called a small donor matching system. And this is something that's been very successful in New York City and um, some other cities around the country. And that takes small donations from local donors, people who live in um the district or for, for governor, it'd be people who live in the state and up to $150, it will match them with public funds. So it amplifies the voice of local donors. And when candidates opt into a system like this, you know, it enhances their fundraising capabilities. So they also agree to some very restrictive limits on how much they can take in. They can't take in more than $500 from any single source, for example. So that sort of eliminates the potential for special interest or um, a self-funding candidate to skyrocket the cost of the election. So this is one reform that we think would really make a difference in Illinois. But if you still have a candidate who is wealthy in that race, you're still going up against, uh, I mean, it, maybe it puts you on a better footing, mm -hmm. but there's a certain level of spending that goes above what a person without connections could uh, could raise. It's true, and it's... It's very frustrating, especially 
I always bring up Citizens United, the Supreme Court decision, and it feels like an old, worn-out conversation point at, at this time, but it really did make an impact, um, you know, for the Supreme Court to say that corporations and wealthy individuals should be able to spend as much money as they would like in elections, all the way down from local up to president. Um, that was really detrimental to our to our campaign finance atmosphere. And there are reforms that we think can make a difference in transparency and in helping grassroots candidates. Um, but ultimately, money has this open channel and it often finds a way around uh, things that you try to do. And then does that give those big contributors, uh, those corporations or those public political action committees, which are sort of like corporations in how much money they can throw around, but they're special interest groups too. Uh, does that give them the loudest voices in the political system? Does that let them call some of the shots? Well, this is the main issue with campaign finance. Um, it's sort of an academic argument often when we talk about it, but the real issue that, we, that we're trying to get at here is... Um, People who give more money to candidates often do that hoping that they can gain access to that candidate, hoping that they'll have their ear, hoping that they'll be able to call that candidate up once they're an elected official and um, have, you know, the space to really advocate their positions. Those aren't always bad positions. You know, there's a lobby for everything. Hospitals have a lobby. You know, unions have a lobby. Um, businesses have a lobby. So they're not always these evil, horrible things, but, you know, when people are giving money to candidates in large quantities, they're hoping that in the future that candidate will remember. And do we see as we look, and I, I know first first off, you can look at some news coverage and, and newspapers and TV and radio stations try to do some of this, but, you know, when you look at, who has access, you start to see that, yes, there are some issues where these people do get the kind of hearing that they were hoping to have. Right. And part of, um, you know, the issue is a lot of these groups that have very high amounts of money to spend in state races, they all, they also have very powerful lobbies and they're down in Springfield when decisions are being made. Um, but I think to the average voter, their $150 doesn't feel like it's going to give them access. I think one of the most surprising things to, you know, quote unquote, the average person when I'm talking about campaign finance is how much of their money, once it's contributed to a candidate, is really kind of transferred around the political system. They think when they're giving their $100 to a candidate that they worked hard for, that's going to, uh, you know, campaign staff and get out the vote efforts and these kind of rosy ideas of what campaigning is your $150 may go to those activities but it might also get transferred to another candidate it might also get transferred to the party you know it might also get transferred between different interests that support the party so I think that for the average person they don't feel that they have enough money to have their voice heard in the same way that many of these large interest groups do you're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking about politics and money. My guest is Sarah Bruni, executive director of the Illinois Campaign for Political Reform. Um, do you think that the general public, that the voting public, actually cares and feels 
that something is off kilter uh, with the political, or do, do they just give up on the whole political system? I, I, I sense a growing disdain among the public for the whole system, for everyone involved, both sides of the aisle. I think that is something that has become really prevalent. I do think a lot of people were energized on both sides of the aisle after the 2016 election, um, whether that's state results or national results. Uh, people really wanted to get out and try to become more active in the system. I think once they start engaging with the way the politics works, they become very frustrated. And I think a lot of people can't put their finger on it because it feels huge and complicated. And like, how can I possibly make a difference? There's so many barriers. I would argue that campaign finance is really central to those barriers that they're feeling. Um, they're not feeling that they have the influence that others do who have large amounts of money, whether it's money they're giving to themselves or money that they're giving to others. I think that that is part of where voters become very disaffected. Hmm. Um, is the debate now being shaped, and this is what the money does, uh, by who can run the the best commercials, who can create the uh, the the pithiest ads, and is that basically changing the landscape for how campaigns are run? I'm not sure. I think um, you know there comes a point of oversaturation in a district of maybe fifty thousand people, a legislative district, where. $5 million is being spent on ads and mailers. People get six or seven mailers a day in some districts close to the election. Then they see back-to-back TV ads. They hear radio ads. There's ads on Snapchat now. There's, you know, Facebook ads. Um, I'm not sure if your ad can be so good that it can cut through the noise of that. I think it just becomes noise at some point. And I heard this from a lot of voters in 2016. They were just exhausted by the whole thing and the ads were not substantive in some cases the substance was false you know both sides of the aisle are, are guilty of that um and i think voters find all of this spending confusing we talk about campaign finance but where does that money go it goes towards ads it goes towards mailers and i think at some point there has to be a loss of return on investment uh, when you're pouring millions and millions of dollars in and people are just kind of throwing their hands up saying I don't even know anymore. <laughs> it's not helping me. Yeah, in the 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 uh, last, uh, you know, even during the gubernatorial election, uh, the um, House Speaker Michael Madigan, the uh, uh, top Democrat, one of the, the top Democrat in the state, and in, in a couple of ways, he's also the chairman of the uh, state Democratic Party, um, was the boogeyman for the Rauner campaign, and a lot of ads tied. Uh, Pat Quinn to Mike Madigan. A lot of ads on the Democratic side tied, tried to tie Governor Rauner to Donald Trump. And I'm sure people were completely baffled by both of those things. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if they canceled each other out or simply energized the people who were already energized. I think it's ultimately confusing for people. I think they want to hear a discussion of the issues, especially in Illinois, where there are issues to discuss. I mean, there's a lot that needs to be 
done in state government. I can't even say there's a lot going on in state government because <laughs> there's a lot that's not going on that needs to. And I think if you talk to the average legislator, they would agree with that. But their hands are tied in some ways because um, they have to accept money from the party in order to get elected when their races cost $4 million. They have to take a lot of money from the party and the party fundraising apparatus. Then they get to Springfield and their party leaders are not willing to make a compromise and, and they're stuck. Let's talk about uh, just briefly uh, some of the other things that uh, that uh, ICPR does, uh, and that is how can voters see through all the haze. Um, you guys have a couple of tools that allow people to see the money that's being spent, but uh, what what can they what can they do? Well, I think right now everyone talks about fake news and alternative facts. We <laughs> try to really stick. So the facts, we uh, present data, you know, and information that is checked. We try to not draw broader conclusions than are necessary. We present information to voters and let them come to their own conclusions, much like, you know, a reporter would do. Um, So we have a database called Illinois Sunshine. It's IllinoisSunshine.org. And that provides campaign finance data updated every single day from the State Board of Elections. Um, It goes back 20 years and it has data as recently as yesterday on how much money candidates are raising, where that money's going. You can look up your own elected official and see who are they giving money to? What are they spending their money on? I think that's one really interesting thing to look at before you make your donation. Maybe you want to know what your elected official is up to. So that's one thing that we think is is a really great tool and we're very proud of it. We also release weekly news reports on Uh, issues in state politics. This week, we looked at fundraising in the Illinois gubernatorial race versus other states, as you had mentioned. Um, We've looked at, you know, union strikes across the country. We've looked at college enrollment in Illinois versus other states. We just try to provide um, a regional and national context for our state issues here in Illinois and really dig deeper in what's going on in state politics. Um, You also... uh do uh, a survey that shows how Illinois votes? Yeah, we have the Illinois Voter Project where we take information from the Illinois voter file that shows who's registered to vote and where, um, some of their demographic information. Right now we're looking at new voters in the 2016 election. Who are they? Where are they from? How old are they? Um, And, you know, trying to just better understand voting trends in Illinois and provide that data on the state. Do you recall any trends that make you hopeful that uh, we're going to see the public become more engaged in the long term? Well, there were um, almost a million new registered voters in 2016 in Illinois, and 30 percent of those were in the 18 to 24 year old age group. So that's really exciting to see people from a younger demographic really getting involved in politics. Um, Part of the challenge is getting people to turn out to vote as well. And I don't think that the slew of ads is helping in any way. <laughs> That's just my two cents. <laughs> okay, I, I'm sure though that the uh, and you know as much as uh, we moan about uh, all the ads and uh, how much of a haze, I suspect the advertising department at radio t- radio at the advertising departments at radio and television stations are just thrilled. Yeah, uh, that, not a bad uh, deal that for them. We've been selling out our ads. Uh, Let's talk about what could change. You did mention the small donor matching system, and that's one concrete uh, thing that could happen. 
a lot of the efforts have been toward transparency. Uh, is transparency enough? I mean, do, do, do people actually take the time to go and look and say, well, okay, that politician got all of his money, got a lot of his money from labor, so we should, we expect him to do whatever the unions want. I don't always expect just the average person who has a different full-time job, not, not in politics, maybe has a couple kids at home. I don't expect them to be surfing through all this financial data. But what transparency does is it allows groups like ours and reporters, journalists, and you know other interested parties to understand the data in campaign finance and understand the trends. And then we are able to synthesize that information and you know give it to voters in in a way that is not going to take them a lot of time to you know, dig in and understand. We want to present this in a simple, easy to read way for people who are busy. Um, but that can't happen unless there's transparency in campaign finance data and reporting. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in front of a spreadsheet with all of this information and thought this could be so much better organized and presented if there were changes in the way that it's reported. Um, it's a wonky thing to think about, but I think it's it's really important because it allows us to do our jobs, allows you to do your job. Um, so I do think transparency is key. And, and one area where it makes a huge difference is in um, outside non-reporting groups who basically act as political committees, but don't have to register with the State Board of Elections. I know one uh, group, they're usually 501c4 or 501c6 nonprofits. I know one of these groups who has tried to register as a political committee because they know they're making political activity, but they, they aren't allowed because of the way that the law is currently written. So um, if you hear about this in national politics, it's sometimes called uh, dark money in politics. So we have a bill in the Senate right now, SB 2089, and that bill would require these groups to register with the State Board of Elections as a political committee if they're making, you know, political ads, expenditures and taking in contributions for political purposes. And that would help us get a better idea of who really is spending money on our campaigns in Illinois. Now, and you are a group that has... uh... Um, Republicans and Democrats on your board of uh, directors uh, and advisors. How how's that bill doing? Well, you know, has it gotten out of committee? It has. Yes, okay. <laughs> it's scheduled for third reading, so it's going. It's moving along. Um, no, I I do think people on both sides of the aisle have been hit with ads from basically anonymous groups, and they both know how it feels to be totally in the dark about who is opposing you, who is spending millions of dollars against you and as soon as you've experienced that you know that you know this spending needs to be out in the open and it's it's really just holding 501c4 and 501c6 groups to the same standards we already require of unions businesses candidates political parties so it's not a new thing it's just sort of closing a loophole that unfortunately has become a problem um we only have about a a minute left Uh, are there any other uh, legislative initiatives or anything else that uh, that could help change the landscape. Yeah, I mean, I think um, increasing transparency in this space is really important, but I really see the small donor matching bill as the key issue that could make a big difference. I remember when I first got into this space, I heard about public financing, and I, I, I kind of laughed at it, honestly. I thought, there's no way that we're going to get politicians to uh, pass this kind of a reform. But... After a couple elections in Illinois that have just seen astronomical spending levels, people are more receptive to this than ever. And this is 
this mother on matching bill specifically SB 1424 that's the reform that could really make a difference in Illinois politics allow grassroots candidates to run allow local donors to have their voices heard and keep the influence of special interests out of the equation well that is going to be the final word we uh, hope to follow the progress of both of those bills and talk to you again that is Sarah Bruni she is executive director of the Illinois campaign for political reform thank you for spending the half hour with us thank you Uh, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is cbschicago.com. Just follow the audio links. Uh, You can also find our podcasts on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue. And in fact, I think we will be interviewing one of the Democratic candidates for governor. I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. WBBM and HD Chicago, WCFS FM and HD1 Elmwood Park, Chicago. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.